our kids will disappear after 100 years. Mm -hmm. So this bridge right now, uh, all of us are trying to build a piece of it. Mm -hmm. and, and I want to contribute uh, a lot of building this bridge yeah. because I used to say to myself, like if I get 80 years old and I'm an old lady and I look in the mirror and I look to my nation, I have to answer the question, did you done enough that this nation should survive? And I want to say yes. Lama and Shlomo, everyone. It's Ninorta from Phoenix, Arizona, bringing you episode number 189 with Etia Ramri. On a beautiful Sunday here in Arizona, a few of us went to Firas Jetu's house, and he had mentioned that Atia and a few other Assyrian activists would be coming to Phoenix for their friend's retirement party. When he mentioned their names, I couldn't give up an opportunity to sit with some of these amazing people. That retirement party weekend turned into an Assyrian activists panel discussion and also a podcast interview with Atia. Atia is a Dutch politician from the Labour Party in the Netherlands. She was born in Arbo Tur Abdin and has been involved in Assyrian causes from a very young age. Atia was one of the founding members of the Assyrian Federation of the Netherlands and was the first chairwoman of the Assyrian Confederation of Europe. In this episode, Atia spoke about her involvement in the Assyrian community, how it is to be a woman in politics, and her work in the Labour Party in the Netherlands. It truly was an inspirational interview for me as I got to hear the perspective of another woman that has given her life in working for the Assyrian cause. I want to take a moment and thank Firas and his wife for opening their home to us to conduct the interview. I'd also like to thank my cousins in the Netherlands, Larissa and Greti, for their information on Dutch politics and crowdsourcing some of the questions. This episode is brought to you by all of us here at the Assyrian Podcast. If you want to join us as a co-host, nominate someone to be our next guest, or find out how to sponsor one of our episodes or seasons, Check us out at assyrianpodcast.com. And now, here's Atia Ramri. Atia Shlomo, thank you, Todi, for being with us on the Assyrian podcast here in Arizona. Thank you very much. Thank you for the invitation. Of course, of course. We're so excited to have you on and have a conversation about Assyrianism, your work in the Netherlands, and yourself in general. If you can start off by telling our listeners about your childhood um, in Turabdin, Turkey. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm born in Turabdin, mm -hmm. as uh, uh, many Assyrians from Holland or from Europe. Um, I grew up there uh, in the village, uh, very primitive those days. We didn't have uh, electricity. A lot of things we didn't have. So I grew up with our animals, with the mm. sheep and the cows and the chickens, uh, whatever. We didn't really have a school those days because of the political problems in those uh, in that area. And um, around the 18th, uh, my parents decided to leave Turkey because of the political situation. Mm. And we went to Holland. 
uh, and I was about nine years old. Um, so in Holland, uh, I grew up with my parents, my brothers and sisters. We are uh, eight children, wow. a huge family, and uh, I went to college, uh, to the university, and start being active in the Assyrian movement. Mm. Uh, right now, I'm married, I have two children, and live um, close to Amsterdam in the Netherlands. Amazing. You mentioned your children. Can you tell us what your children's names are? Yes, my, my oldest daughter, her name is Zelga, hmm. and uh, she is uh, right now very busy being a Syrian, what is that exactly? Wonderful. Where, uh, why did mom leave Assyria and, what, and, and how, how was the village? And we used to go every year, a uh, few weeks to my village, mm. uh, just for my two girls to, to learn how it is, you know, to be in the village, in, in Torabdin, in Midyat, and to learn the Assyrian language very well. The youngest one is seven years old, and her name is Damrina. Mm. Uh, it comes from Dumoro, Dumarfo, mm. and, uh, and and she was a big surprise for us mm. the way she is and everything. So her name matched uh, a lot with her. The girls uh, live, of course, with us in Holland and goes to school and uh, and try to learn as much they can the Assyrian language. Beautiful, beautiful. And from my understanding, your husband is not Assyrian. No, that's right. I married with a Dutch man, um, André, uh, but he, he really uh, loved, uh, for me being Assyrian, being active Assyrian, he helps me with everything. Uh, he can also speak Assyrian. Uh, so at home, we try to mix Assyrian Dutch with each other. So Beautiful. when he is mad with the girls, he used to use Assyrian words. <laughs> so that's the sign, you know, that it comes up naturally. Yes. <laughs> from his heart. The passion. <laughs> yes. The passion for some Assyrian words. Uh, he got that. Yeah. Wonderful. Wonderful. I love that you are incorporating both um, cultures within your family, which yeah. is extremely important. It, it, it's really very, very important. Uh, of course, as every Assyrian family, you you grow up your children with the mind that you should marry with Assyrians. Yes. And that's the most best way, of course, for a relationship, because being with someone is quite <clears throat> difficult. So if you live with someone with another culture, with another uh, language, it's double difficult. So yeah. it's a huge challenge for every Assyrian girl or man or woman who lives with different cultures. So it's easier for a relationship if you marry with an Assyrian person. Mm-hmm. But sometimes life goes yes. different. And, and this is how it is for me. Uh, but I try to, you know, to give my children as much as I can a uh, little bit about our history. And, and they are really, really very curious about what happened to this nation. And mm. I remember that five years ago when we went to Torabdin and my girl was like eight years old, uh, the oldest one, and that when we were walking there and then she said, Mom, why didn't the Assyrians put a big wall around Torabdin? And then you had a country. Yeah. So that was for me like, you know, the sign that she's busy with this political issue of the Assyrians mm. while she's eight years old. Mm-hmm. And that uh, that gives me hope. 
Oh, yes. Oh, yes, absolutely. And that comes from your parenting that you're instilling that Assyrianism in her from such a young age. And she's becoming curious as she's growing up and doing research on her own. Of course. And, you know, give her the names of important people. She knows that, for example, uh, uh, Lady Surma is very important Mm. for me. Or uh, Francis Chabo, Marvin Yan and Chamo. Uh, what Habanese means for us mm-hmm. um, and a lot of other things. So it's it's really, it's up to us, the mothers, although you are married with an Assyrian man or a foreigner, mm-hmm. to give this history, this nation to them. Mm-hmm. And uh, this generation, our generation, is, I think, very, very important. Mm-hmm. Our parents' generation wasn't so important as we are because we are living in a foreigner country and if we don't build a huge bridge between Assyria and Europe, our kids will disappear after 100 years. Mm-hmm. So this bridge right now, uh, all of us are trying to build a piece of it. Mm-hmm. And, and I want to contribute uh, a lot of building this bridge yeah. because I used to say to myself, like if I get 80 years old, and I'm an old lady and I look in the mirror and I look to my nation, I have to answer the question, did you done enough that this nation should survive? And I want to say yes. So for that feeling, I, I, I love to work for this nation. That was beautiful because um, that's exactly how I feel. Um, I have my parents, my family always asking me, why are you so involved? Why do you do what you do? Why are you wasting your time? You're not getting anywhere. And you said it perfectly. Yeah, I mean, so my parents did say that too to me. Mm. I remember that the first time I decided to go to Iran, they were looking to me like, you lost your mind. Mm. Are you crazy? We don't have anything in Iran. But I, I know that we have Urmia and I knew that we had Salamas and I knew that we had Assyrians there. Mm-hmm. That was for me enough. Uh, but also when I went to Iraq, like, you know, we are from Turhabdin. Mm. Those people don't even understand you. Like, they speak another language. Why are you taking so much risk? Mm. Uh, so that's so uh, double, you know, at the, one way your parents teach you that you have to speak Assyrian, to love an Assyrian man to spend a while with Assyrians, to teach, to cook Assyrian. Mm. But when you involved in politics, when you involve building something for this nation, they are afraid of it. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I have heard this many times and nothing has stopped me because mm. it gives me so much energy and it's made me a strong woman. Mm. And that's, I would love to say this to every Assyrian young lady who decide like you to do something. Mm. And, and it gives you a lot of energy, it makes you strong, it, 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 it makes you not depressed. Because mm-hmm. if I look to many Assyrian young ladies, eh, we, we are living in, in the diaspora and we have a lot of personal problems. But when you are involved with this movement, it gives you so much hope, mm-hmm. so much focus, and you get so much love. Mm-hmm. You will be a very happy young lady when you are working for this nation. Mm, absolutely, absolutely. Um, Atia, you did touch on going back to the homeland. You're from Tur Abdin region. You mentioned you went to Iran and you also went to Iraq. 
How was that feeling um, when you went to Iraq versus the other times when you were in, in Turabdeen? You know, when we left Turabdeen, uh, we couldn't go back for almost 30 years. Mm. Um, so um, for me, I, I was somehow looking for a place that replaced Turabdeen in my heart. Mm. And uh, when I have understand that Urmi was a little bit like Turabdeen, like um, Midyas, mm. um, I wanted to connect with my place. And for me, Urmi is Assyria, mm. it's not Iran. Mm. And it's, I mean, Assyria, either it's Midyat, Turabdin, or Urmi, it's the same emotionally, and it's the same for me politically. Mm. So I wanted to go to connect with our people, and the Assyrians in Iran has been very important for, the, the, for us. You know, the, uh, the people in Iran were high educated, we had musicians, we, we, had, we had painters, um, a lot of Assyrians in Iran can read and write Assyrian. You know, you meet old people and they write your letter in Assyrian. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. And it wasn't only the Shamasha in the church. Mm -hmm. It was just, you know, everybody could do that. Mm -hmm. Because in the days of the Shah, the Assyrian language, it was an officially language that people could read and write it. So everybody could learn it. Mm -hmm. So. They built the, the first newspapers, they built so, I mean, Mutwa Aturayat Urmi is so old that you can't imagine that we had those days, yeah, in, the, in 1915, 16, mm -hmm. right, those days, they, they built Mutwa Aturayat Urmi. Mm -hmm. So the history of the Assyrians in Iran, it's amazing. And uh, like William Daniel, mm -hmm. you know, he creates so much for us, for this generation. And so I have, it, it gives me so much uh, energy, this information, that connect me with my roots. Uh, so you don't really need to go to your own village, to your own neighborhood or your own region mm. to connect with your roots. And so Urmi was the start of feeling like we have to work harder for these people. Yeah. They need us. Mm. They need my generation. The second time was that I, when I, of course, we saw that Saddam was leaving, you know, mm -hmm. he disappears in Iraq. And my father was very ill. He had cancer. Mm -hmm. We knew that he would pass away very quick. So I remember the moment uh, uh, when a Syrian neighbor from Iraq told my father, like, you know, Saddam is leaving and the Assyrians in Iraq will get something. And my father was so emotional. And he, he looked to me and he said, are you going? Are you going? And help, mm. help the Assyrians mm. with this uh, new hope. So I decided, you know, I pack my rucksack and wear my jeans mm. and ask around and I, with some others, and we went to Baghdad those days. It was really very dangerous also. But that moment uh, to, you know, to sit in a car and look around you in Mosul and you see the old Assyrian monuments, our old churches, it, it has proved mm -hmm. again that this uh, Assyrian nation uh, needs to survive. Mm -hmm. We have given so much to the world yeah. and the world is not giving anything to us. And I understand that because there is not 
one nation who will help another nation if they not get anything, something for their own. Mm -hmm. But we have to help ourselves. And I really hope that uh, this connection with our parts, Turabdi, Ninwe and Urmi, uh, will help the new generation to connect with their roots. Mm -hmm. And that's why I'm very happy what Gishra is doing every year. It's fantastic. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, just a, a plug into Gishru. I was a participant in 2018 and I had a chance to go to Tarabdin and visit the, the villages there and also go to um, northern Iraq as well. So it was just, and I was, we were speaking about this earlier, just the experience. There are no words yeah. to explain and express the feelings that anyone feels yeah. when they go. Yeah, and, and I really hope that the mothers who are listening to this podcast, that they have understand that their duty is to send their children with these groups. Mm -hmm. They really have, if they really like the Assyrian language, the Assyrian food, the Assyrian dances, then they, they have to force themselves to send their children at least one or two times to mm -hmm. Assyria. And then something happened. Mm -hmm. That's guarantee. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I definitely would love to talk on, you know, like I'm involved in the Assyrian community. You're very involved in the Assyrian community. What are your thoughts on the youth becoming active and how can they be proud of their heritage? Yeah, well, I remember we had um, in, in Brussels an, an, uh, a meeting with uh, 25 youngsters and most of them were girls. Mm. And that was, we, I spent a while with them. And what I have learned from that time was that I really believe that every Assyrian young man or woman, girls and boys, they all want to do something. They all want. But that our generation is not preparing something for them. Because the way we are used to organize things things mm -hmm. uh, is not matching with the new generation. Mm -hmm. And uh, what I used to say is that I don't want you to do what I have done. I want you to do what matched with your competences, what matched with the things you love. You don't need to do politics. Mm -hmm. You love media. Mm -hmm. Please do that. Or you love fashion. Do mm -hmm. something fashion and as in, in, in being a Syrian. Mm -hmm. If you are a painter, do something, you know, painting for the Dutch or Europeans or Americans, but also for the Assyrians. Uh, are you a lawyer? Be a good lawyer, but try to do something about the Seifo. Mm -hmm. And connecting your job, your competences, your knowledge with something of, of the Assyrians, that's the future. Mm -hmm. And beside that, I'm working now for 25 years among the Assyrians. I'm not asking this from the youngsters. Mm -hmm. I ask them to do this for a while. Make it smaller. Because if you give them the, give them the impression that if you start with this, you have to do this for the rest of your life, that's huge. Mm -hmm. So make it small, make it compact, make it very, uh, you know, matching with the things they love. Um, and then we became professional. Mm -hmm. And when we became professional, you do the things you are good in it, it's going to be the best. Mm -hmm. If I do the things where I am good in it, I'm going to be the best too. Mm -hmm. And we will connect each other. Mm -hmm. And then 
we create that bridge between Europe, between uh, Arizona <laughs> and uh, Assyria. Yeah. And this is the new generation. They have, to, I mean, they love to do something, but we have to help them picking something they love to do and uh, help them with it. Just yeah. help. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I'd like to now kind of go into your work in the Netherlands within the Assyrian community first. We'll touch on that yeah. and then go into the um, the Dutch politics of it all. Um, so if you can kind of talk about the Assyrian community in, ne in the Netherlands um, and your work uh, mm -hmm. in the Assyrian community there. Well, you know, as every Assyrian, uh, no, as every European country, we have a lot of Assyrians in the Netherlands, around the 30,000. Mm. We have, I think, almost um, 20 churches in the Netherlands. Wow. Uh, you know, from every uh, mm -hmm. one denomination. Yeah. And I used uh, to try to visit them all, Osuroye, eh? Kaldoye, and Srioye churches. They are active, they organize different activities. And what you see now among the Assyrians is that um, the new generation is trying to uh, pick up small things to organize for our people, like dance group, mm -hmm. uh, theater, uh, organizing Chabnissen differently, mm -hmm. not Chigga dancing, yeah. and that's it. So little by little, you see different things. They are changing. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that this is the right time to change it, because we have celebrating Habnism for 30 years the same. Mm -hmm. So good, let them change it. Uh, we have a, the Assyrian Federation, mm -hmm. uh, a very young, ambition group of people. I'm very proud of them. Uh, very active, but the way they want to do it, not the way my generation want to do it. Um, and we have a kind of a lobby group, you know, when something happened in Assyria, we have the right contacts with the Dutch government, Dutch politicians. Mm -hmm. uh, I used to help uh, whenever they need me. And we have uh, uh, a lot of Assyrians who have businesses, mm. like everywhere mm -hmm. in Europe. Um, and little by little, uh, we get uh, youngsters who write books, uh, who write uh, poems, who mm -hmm. uh, are actors, uh, journalists. So now the, the new generation is really getting, uh, you know, being part of the Dutch society. And of course, the next step is to connect the contacts, whatever they are good in it, with part of being a Syrian. That's very beautiful. And I think we don't know what happens on in different countries within the Assyrian community. So it's beautiful that you, that you touched on that, but it's very similar to everywhere else. Absolutely. <laughs> it's everywhere, everywhere similar. And it, somehow it's good because then we grow up together. We, we, we are creating a new movement and they can help each other or learn from each other. But I, 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 I really hope that uh, in every country, the generation who is right now organizing things mm -hmm. will a little bit move and that the new generation will step and take over things and creating their own new way of, of organizing Assyrian politics and Assyrian cultural activities. Absolutely. 
So for anyone that's listening that's living in the Netherlands, they can either join the Assyrian Federation of yeah. the Netherlands and kind of get involved in any way that they know how. Yeah. Um, as, and it goes as simple as just either joining, going to one meeting, going to one event, and kind yeah. of just putting their foot into the door slowly. That would be great. They have a website, they are on social media, so if they send them an email, they react immediately. Beautiful. You were also the president of the Assyrian Confederation of Europe. Yeah, I um, have been. Yeah. yeah. What was your role uh, in that position and what does the Assyrian Confederation of Europe do? You know, in 2016, we, uh, uh, the Assyrian Federations, we have one in Sweden, one in Belgium, in France, in Germany, in Holland. So mm -hmm. we have many federations and they decided to build a confederation that uh, will focus on lobbying mm -hmm. uh, for creating the Assyria region government in Iraq mm -hmm. to create uh, a somehow something in Turabdin, you know, the region government in Khabur and Qamishli. So to uh, not to wait that something happen and then creating a lobby network, but to create a lobby network who is prepared that if something happened, they can move, mm -hmm. they can start writing press releases, start connecting with European governments, etc. So they establish, uh, they decide to establish a confederation and um, they ask few Assyrians if they want to be the first president. And when they asked me, I, I decide like, okay, I, I really love to help you to establish the first three years of this confederation to make it legal, to open an office in Brussels, in the capital of Europe, and start to use the network I have mm. in Brussels and in the European countries, and to establish a lobby network. And I helped them with that. We uh, organized, for example, the Assyrian um, Convention in Europe mm. three times. Beautiful. It was very nice and very interesting. We wanted to do it differently than the Assyrians do in uh, the USA. Mm -hmm. And we start to write every year a human rights report because we don't have good professional human rights reports about the Assyrians in different countries. So we, we publish those human rights reports for three, four years. And, and my, my term, because I really believe that after three years, four years, then it's done your job. Right. Uh, I learned that from the Dutch politics. It's sometimes among the Assyrians, people start somewhere and they stay somewhere mm. and that's very difficult to make people understand that when you leave your ch chair it gives a new breath to your movement if you stay you kill the movement yes. it will die so i was very clear from the first day that i would you know step uh, off and i did and um, another young lady from sweden took the the the, the role and, and they, there is a new staff and um, unfortunately uh, they didn't release a human rights report after it. I don't know exactly why, uh, but they, they still exist and do some activities uh, and we really need a strong lobby network mm -hmm. in Europe and I really hope that uh, we, will, we will succeed one day with the strong lobby organization. Wonderful. What sparked your interest in politics in general? And this is going into the, the Dutch politics yeah. of it. Um, when did you know you wanted to go into politics? 
Well, I think my grandfather was the, was the mayor of Arbo, uh -huh. my grandfather. So I, I listened when I was little to the stories of my mom because I never met my grandfather, Blachdo. Mm -hmm. Uh, but my mom was always telling what he was doing and good stuff for the Assyrians in Turhabdin, mm -hmm. in Turat Islam, that mm -hmm. region. And that he helped people, that he released people, that when people, you know, were fighting, he was always mediating things, that he was, uh, he was doing a great job. So politics and, and doing good stuff was connecting to each other in my fantasy, in my mind. And... Um, and then I, I start to, to have interest in it, like what kind of politics do we have in Holland, which kind of political parties. And I choose uh, not for uh, a Christian group um, because the position of the woman uh, was for me very important. And mm -hmm. that's why I choose for a, a, a social democrat party, mm -hmm. a labor party, mm -hmm. who had in, in their principles that the man and the woman is equal and that international solidarity is very important. For these two reasons, I became member like 25 years ago of the Labour Party in the Netherlands and, and start learning politics. Mm -hmm. And then I, I uh, uh, have been elected in 2003 the first time for the state government of Overijssel. Mm -hmm. Uh, I did that for eight years and, uh, and then uh, I was elected for uh, North Holland um, and the last, and I've, diff I've had different roles and jobs uh, to the politics. I've been the, the chair, the leader of the Women of the Labour Party mm. for, for four years. It was a very difficult and heavy uh, role, uh, but I love that because the woman has always been very important in the steps I took. Mm. Um, and right now um, I, I, I'm uh, responsible for uh, two departments, the social care department where I live and building houses. Mm. I was doing some research online and, and asking, and it meant and something was being talked about the PVDA and then that's the my party. That's your party. That's yes. the name of it. Yes. Okay. Then that explains yeah. that. Partij van de Arbeid, ah. the party for the labor. Ah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So right now, I think I also read that you are the wet holder of yeah. the party. What What does what that? What does that mean? Well, <laughs> I, I I really don't know the good translation in English, but it's. That, that you are a governor okay. somewhere. Okay. So I am the governor of that of Blumendal, mm. and um, and I'm responsible of building houses in that area, uh, and I'm responsible for the whole social care system uh, of that area. So uh, I am, of course, uh, Holland is very small and it's a small uh, place area. So I am. Uh, that's how I translate it. Mm -hmm. So it's that you are the governor of that place. So that you have an administration, and you have a vision, and you have political debates about it. You have a coalition. You have an opposition. Mm -hmm. So that's my job. I see. Right now, I am the politician of the Labour Party there. Understood. Yeah. Okay. Do you have plans of running again in other elections in the future? Uh, you know this. 
is for four years. Then mm. we have elections okay. every four years. So uh, we will see what happens after now three years. And uh, if we win and we are part of the coalition, uh, they might ask me again to be the governor. Okay. Um, so if it's not, we will see. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, your role in the Dutch politics um, in all of the years in the Labour Party, how have how has your role shaped or assisted the Assyrians in, in the Netherlands? You know what I have, um, at least uh, I have been for many young girls and, and boys, uh, like an example that politics is not very far away and that politics is not something bad. And so when I started and, and met Assyrian youngsters, they used to say like, oh, we didn't know we can do this too. Mm. So it was more like inspiring the youngsters. And now, right now, I can see some young Assyrians start to be member of political parties. And I'm very happy about it mm -hmm. because when I started, I was probably the first woman. Mm. And uh, in the levels I reached, I had been always the first one because um, nobody else was active those days. And until now, but now little by little people start and I'm very happy about it. And what you see is when you are a politician in the Netherlands is that you see how networks works. Mm -hmm. And whenever I went to a meeting, I never met Assyrians. And, I, and even nobody talks about Assyrians. It was like we don't exist in the Netherlands. Mm -hmm. We spoke about the Turks, the Moroccans, the, the Jewish people, the Palestinians, the Armenians, mm -hmm. but nobody knows us. Mm -hmm. And that's because the Assyrians in, in Holland, but the most of the time everywhere, our focus, the, the most of the time, are busy with each other. We are busy with our own problems. We are busy with our own church problems, mm -hmm. political party problems, whatever. But we are not busy with the problems in the society where we are living. Mm -hmm. So if you go to a neighborhood that they won't build houses right now, the Assyrians will not go and participate with the debates about it. Mm -hmm. They will not participate when you change something on the, in the social care system you meet different people, but there are no Assyrians there and asking questions about it. So the politicians in Holland, they don't meet the Assyrians. They meet them only when they need the votes. So when, when we need, politicians need votes, they go to the Assyrian church. Mm -hmm. But what we are doing wrong, and I, I, I've been saying this now for 20 years, they, they don't know what to ask from the politician. So that politician, politicians go to the Syriac Orthodox Church in Enschede, in Holland. Mm. They ask them, please vote on me, I'm good for you. But nobody asks him, all right, when we vote on you, are you going to ask questions about the situation of the Assyrians in Iraq? Mm -hmm. And what are you going to do about the human rights situation in the Kurdish region? Mm -hmm. Because the Kurds are, 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 are treating us not well. Mm. And they don't ask, are you going to recognize the Assyrian Saifu? Mm. They don't know what to ask. And that is really, really very sad. So they get, we give the votes to the politicians in Europe, but we don't ask them to give something in return to us. Mm. And um, so 
we give votes and then we don't meet them for four years and they come back again after happens four again. years and happens again, now for 20 years. But, but the last few years, we start a little bit to be aware about this. Mm. And that's very good because right now we are, I mean, if you are 30, 40,000 people, you can make the difference. Mm -hmm. That's a seat in the Dutch parliament. You need 20,000 votes. And if you can, as a community, create a vote in the Dutch parliament, what, whatever happened to the Assyrians, you can call that parliamentarian. Mm -hmm. So uh, our churches are not busy with that. Our community is not busy with that. But I, I am a very optimistic person. I really believe the next 10 years we will change that in Europe, that uh, we can ask this question to the politicians. Um, you know, what, what I have used the last uh, 20 years is, of course, um, I went to Iraq from 2003 um, to 2014 every year. I think I was one of the first uh, Assyrians from Europe who went to Khabnissen every year. And then Gishro started with his group. Fantastic. I went every year. I took most of the time foreigners with me, not only Assyrians, but Dutch people, politicians, uh, um, NGOs, um, professors from universities, um, uh, television, radios, newspapers, journalists. Um, because it isn't a trip just to go and walk during Habnisen. No, I want these people to be aware about the Assyrians do not have rights in Assyria. That's why I'm there, mm -hmm. to speak with the youngsters, to hear what the Kurds are doing with our youngsters, what the Arabs and political parties are doing with the Syrians. Mm -hmm. So um, I went many times and that's why I really feel when I'm in al Qush, I feel home. Mm -hmm. When I'm in Baghdad, I feel home or Telescope or when I go to Rabban Hurmes mm -hmm. or Mormatai, I know them, they yeah. know me. And I remember one of my visits when I was in Mormatai, the, the bishop, he said, listen to me, when you marry one day, you have to marry in, in our monastery mm. because you come every year, few times, and you take care of us. Mm. You, are, you are our voice in Europe. So mm. if you marry, you have to marry here. So I did. Mm. When, I want, when me and my husband wanted to marry, I said, we have to marry in Ninway because I promised this to the uh, Hathio, to the uh, uh, bishop. Um, so I feel home, I feel comfortable. And they know me when they come to Europe. I help them with meetings, meeting European politicians. We organized a few conferences about the political situation of the Assyrians in Iraq and Syria. So I used whatever I had, connections, knowledge, time, uh, use it to create something for the Assyrians and be the voice of the Assyrians. And I really I remember one of these huge conferences in the European Parliament that uh, we were talking about um, Nineveh after ISIS mm. and that I stand up and I said, I, I want to give my voice to the Assyrian woman in Nineveh because she is not here. Nobody represents her during this meeting, mm. meeting, but I want to be her voice. What I'm saying, it's the voice of the Assyrian woman from Iraq. Mm. And me as a woman from Iraq, nobody respect me. Nobody uh, recognize my identity. Uh, people look to me like a Christian woman, but I'm not. I have an identity 
I am, you know, this and that. And uh, I remember that Syrians from Iraq, all of them were men in that meeting, were confused, like, oh, okay. <laughs> so the voice of a woman is very important during every meeting. And I try to, uh, to be that voice. Wow. That was very, very beautifully, beautifully said. Um, one of my co-hosts, one of my counterparts, um, Sarah in, in Chicago, she had a question to ask. Um, she's asking socialism in some countries has become a contested subject. What do you feel works about in the, in the Netherlands? You know, in the Dutch parliament, um, we have a lot of political parties mm. from left to right, from socialism to liberalism. And uh, how I look to my own party is that um, we, we have to create chances for people who are poor, for people who, are, who don't get it from their house to be educated, to be from one dollar to, to, to develop themselves into ten dollar, mm -hmm. you know? And that's for me the social uh, labor party. Mm -hmm. uh, because if you look to the Assyrians, when they came to Europe, if it's up to the right wings, the right political parties in the Netherlands, they wouldn't get the house. They wouldn't get uh, money from the government. Mm. They wouldn't pay my school. I, I, would, I wouldn't be educated, mm -hmm. but it's up to the left parties that they said poor people should have the same right to go to the university. The government will pay for her. That's why I'm educated. My father wouldn't pay the university because he didn't have money. Mm -hmm. So that's why I really believe that sometimes you grow up in a house who is not rich. So it doesn't mean that the next generation should be poor. Yeah. So create opportunities for the poor people in your country and educate them to be rich people. Give them all the possibilities. And it doesn't mean that they will, but give them, as a government, you should give them the possibility to grow, to develop themselves, give them a house, give them a social system, yeah, let them use the social system. And then you can see if you are good and, and smart and you have the competences, you will be a doctor. Mm -hmm. Although your father cannot read and write, mm -hmm. you can be something big. Mm -hmm. And uh, not only when you are a, a son or a daughter of a rich man and woman who sent you to the university, you became a doctor. No, we want that everybody in the Netherlands get the chance to develop themselves and to be a normal person mm -hmm. in the society. Mm -hmm. That's what socialism, that's what the Labour Party believes in. And it fits very well on my personality mm -hmm. and on my views, how I look to the country, how I look to uh, society. And, and also the, the equal thing that, um, you know, man and woman are the same. If I go to meetings with uh, the, the right political parties, Sometimes they make joke of it, but it isn't. It's a very serious issue. Mm. Every 10 days, a, a woman it is, it has been killed in the Netherlands. Every 10 days, a woman. Mm. She, she, they kill her because uh, her father is not happy what she is doing. 
her husband, her ex-husband, her ex-boyfriend, her brother, her uncle. I mean, this is terrible. Imagine every 10 days. So the woman, the position of the woman in the society is very important for me, for my political party. Mm. So I, I'm not sure if this is the answer uh, of your co-host, uh, <laughs> but this is how I look to society. Thank you. Thank you, Atiyah. One final question that we ask all of our guests on the Assyrian podcast, and we have listeners all over the world. What's one final message that you would like to share with them? You know that sometimes uh, people um, after uh, a podcast or after when I'm on Assyria TV or whatever, mm-hmm. they send a response like, thank you very much, thank you. And I used to say, and I, I want to say that to the listeners of, of this podcast, so don't thank me. Mm-hmm. I don't need that. Mm-hmm. Because what I'm doing for my people, it's I'm not doing this for being thankful or mm-hmm. people saying appreciated. Mm-hmm. No, it's my duty. I'm doing this because I believe in it and that I want to take this responsibility to give something to my nation. Mm-hmm. And instead of saying thank you very much i would challenge them i will i i would love to invite them to think about like what can i do and i used to give the example like if you just have one hour on sunday go to the social media and check some politicians in your neighborhood in your uh, province or region or uh, national politics, the names you have, try to send them every Sunday one email mm-hmm. or one response on their social media with the same questions, like what are you going to do about the situation of the Assyrians in Iraq? Or did you hear that in the Kurdish region the Assyrians do not have the same rights? Or have you heard that the Assyrians in Torhabdin or in Qamishli, this or that? Try to do that every Sunday and just take that half hour or one hour you have. That's, that is enough. Mm. Then you are doing a lot of things for your people. Mm. And of course, I would be happy if they can do more. But uh, start with that half hour you have on Sunday. And, and ask these political questions to the right people. And then we, something happens. You will see if we do this, all of us, instead of reacting on each other or uh, uh, liking the khidgas and the food we are posting, uh, but we have to post political things. And I really would love when the Assyrians would do that more. Beautifully said. And there is and one other question that I used to when I watch the social media, is that um, sometimes we post pictures where you see only men. Mm. And I, I really start you know, to have something against that. So whenever I see pictures uh, with only men, I used to ask what happened to the Assyrian woman? Where is she in this picture? And, and there are a few things that we have to learn to connect with each other. That's the word Assyria. We have to stop using Atra on our post because no foreigner knows what Atra means, but Atra means Assyria. We have to use the word, the Assyrian language and not Surath because nobody knows what Surath is. And, and connecting 
the human rights question to this world. Being Assyrian, we have an Assyrian language and our country is Assyria. And why don't we have the same rights like the Arab, the Kurds, the Yazidi or whatever? If we are conscious about those few things, I would be very happy. And it would be useful for the future of this nation. Amazing. Wow. That was beautifully said, Atia. Todi Sagi for this conversation, this interview. I really appreciate your time and I do wish the our listeners really gain some perspective about your life, your work in Assyrianism and politics in Europe. Thank you very much. Thank you for your time. I really respect that. Thank you. Of course, Todi. Thank you so much for listening to the Assyrian podcast and your continued support. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please be sure to subscribe wherever you're listening to and share the episode with your family and friends. Don't forget to check out our website for some cool merchandise and listen to previous episodes. Thank you and goodbye.